Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Art Blog Radio. I'm your host for today, Whit Lopez, and I am absolutely delighted to be sitting in the Friends Center with the executive director of the Stockton Rush Bartol Foundation, Beth Feldman Brand. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hi, Whit. Hi. So full disclosure also, I was recently invited to be a board member at the Bartol Foundation. So I'm extra excited to be able to talk with Beth about what this foundation does and to be able to inform our listeners about the opportunities that exist because of the Bartol Foundation. So Beth, Bartol, this is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so can you explain what the mission of the Bartol Foundation is? for our listeners. Absolutely. We um, have a couple different parts of what we do, all focused on really in-depth, hands-on, community-based arts education programs in the city of Philadelphia. And that means we make uh, grants to individuals, we make grants to organizations, we have programs that support teaching artists, um, and mostly we try and make connections between artists and teaching artists and community members and community organizations and all the different areas where we think uh, artists and making art matters. That's amazing. One of the things that really stood out to me that Bartol's doing that I haven't really seen done in many other organizations are these trauma-informed workshops for artists. Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Sure. We started a few years ago doing these programs that we called Artist Plus. And as part of our professional development workshops for teaching artists, we started finding a community partner in an area that we thought should be taking advantage of artists and teaching artists. And we would do a workshop together. And so a few years ago, we did a workshop with the Scattergood uh, Foundation for Behavioral Health about trauma. And it was just this sort of phrase that was going around the community and everyone should be trauma-informed and what did that mean? And in particular, what did that mean for teaching artists? And so we decided to develop our first long professional development program. So it's a 20-hour training in trauma-informed practice specifically for teaching artists. And... Um, the idea is to sort of combine what we need to know about the, the science of trauma and brains and communities and kids, and then take a very particular point of view, which says if you're just a teaching artist walking into a setting with young people, um, in school, out of school, uh, in juvenile detention centers, in homeless shelters, in any kind of situation where people might be impacted by trauma, how does that inform how you teach? And so with some money from the William Penn Foundation, uh, Philadelphia Foundation, CHD Trust, and some other foundation partners, we were able to design and pilot this training, and now we're in our fifth class. So by the time we're done with this training, we'll have had uh, 60 artists wow. who've completed 20 hours of trauma-informed practice training. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I, as a teaching artist myself, and also someone who believes very deeply in the need for trauma-informed pedagogical practices, 
hearing that you're having trainings that are teaching artists, or teaching, teaching artists, <laughs> the opportunity to understand how trauma works in a lot of community, communities is so important because sometimes we're encouraged to go into communities where we have no real connection and we don't understand the history of that particular community and we don't understand how you know, society has impacted that community. And so I feel like it's very necessary for every teaching artist to get that kind of training. So I'm really glad to hear that, you know, there are 60 people out there <laughs> who have gotten that training and who are a little forward thinking within, uh, you know, within their teaching artist practice to be trauma informed when working in the community. So that's really awesome. And what you said is really interesting because one of the ideas of the class, uh, which was designed by uh, Mindy Early, um, is that teaching artists are essentially always midstreaming. You're always walking into a setting. You don't know what happened to the participants before they came to you. Right. You don't know what's going to happen after you leave. Right. All you can do is um, be present with the behaviors you see in front of you. Yeah. which may or may not come from trauma. You don't know, um, because it's really rare that you have every single student's entire history when you walk in. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it turns out that, that trauma-informed teaching is good for everybody. Absolutely. And so you don't have to get some kind of checklist uh, of everybody's personal history. You can just sort of uh, be a thoughtful and empathetic and informed teaching artists, and it benefits everybody, and it benefits you, and your own care, and your own boundaries, and all the things you need as a teaching artist to keep doing this work without getting burnt out. Yes, I agree, I agree. So you mentioned that the trauma-informed training is part of the professional development workshops that are offered by Bartol. What are the other professional development workshop offerings that exist at the organization? So. For more than a decade, since 2007, we've been offering uh, free professional development for teaching artists, uh, usually a two or three hour workshop. Hopefully you come in, you learn a bunch of stuff in three hours, you can leave tomorrow and use it in your classroom or your entrepreneurial practice. Um, and so it varies between um, very discipline specific workshops like printing without a press or improvisation mm -hmm. games or something. Then we have a three-part marketing series that we do once or twice a year, which is more about how you present yourselves uh, as a teaching artist, what's your teaching artist statement, what's your signature lesson, how do you negotiate for yourself, um, and then um, other things that are helpful, like we do a mandated reporter training in person, you know, in September every year, because everybody needs that training under their belt to be able to teach. And so we do um, now about, uh, maybe about 20 free professional development programs wow. a year to about 300 artists that, that come through in any given year. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really, really amazing. So in addition to teaching artists, there's also a program for arts educators. Uh, administrators. Administrators, right. So, <laughs> administrators, um, let me get that correct. Yeah, you got it. You got it. It's a, it's a mouthful. Um, 
Yeah, we're hoping to uh, pretty soon to pilot our first class for arts education administrators. So a, an in-depth training, not for people who are in the classroom, but for people who are doing the program design, supporting teachers, um, working with community partners. And so it's a, uh, the foundation is a, lo a lot is the same as the teaching artist training, but it just has a different point of view and it adds some layers that are more about uh, community partnerships and, and supporting teaching artists. So the foundation also offers grants right. to artists and to organizations. Could you tell me a little bit more about those grants? Yes. Um, we have always, since the beginning, since 1984, made grants to organizations in Philadelphia or who are serving uh, people in Philadelphia for hands-on, in-depth arts education programs. And, and that can be anything. Um, it doesn't have to be in school. It can be out of school. It, we've funded things for seniors. We've funded things for veterans. We've funded things, um, for example, right now we have a, a grant out with Power Street Theater that's doing theater and playwriting with um, adults in their community in the evenings. And so we, we really want to see um, people making art in any art form in a really authentic way over a long period of time. And so those grants are between five and $10,000, depending on the stock market <laughs> and, <laughs> and our own resources. Um, and we make about 20 grants a year, so about $100,000. And the important thing coming up on that is that um, the deadline for, for all of our 2020 grants is May 1st, which is not that far away because uh, in order to be able to apply, you need to do a mandatory site visit before you apply. And you have to ask us to do your site visit by April 3rd, and, and we're here we are in March already. And so it's super important if you think you might want to apply for an organization uh, at our May 1st deadline, jump on our website, which is bartal.org, and check out if you're eligible, Give me a call if you're not sure if you're eligible, and then submit your, your site visit request right away. Um, the, the, um, the benefit of being really Philadelphia-based um, with a board of primarily practicing folks like you is that we can go see everything that we might be funding. Mm. And so, especially if you're Maybe you're not actually even an organization yet. You're fiscally sponsored. You can still apply. Um, maybe you don't have a professional grant writer. Um, but in those cases, we're going to come see your work. And we have had organizations that it's the first time we've, uh, we've met you. Uh, we go out. It's a great site visit. And you wind up getting, your, getting a grant your first time out. Um, so that's why the site visit is, is really important. Um, so people really need to remember, go to Bartol, B-A-R-T-O-L.org, go on our apply for grants page, see if you're eligible. If you're not sure you're eligible, shoot me an email. My email's on the website. And then 
make sure to definitely get your site visit request in by April 3rd. Sometimes it's really heartbreaking where someone says, I thought you had a May 1 deadline and it's April 10th and oh. I thought I was really ahead and oh, I no. started to work on it and I see the, the site visit deadline is passed and that, that's just the way it is because we have to have enough time. Right. If you ask on April 3rd, we have another couple weeks to get your site visit finished by May 1st. Right. And so don't miss the chance. Um, you know, just get on the site, get your site visit in. And to some extent, sometimes we say to people, if you think you might apply, let's get a site visit in the books. Um, and if at the last minute you, you realize you can't pull it off or we decide together it's not a fit, it's always better to ask and have the site visit than have it be too late and now you can't apply for a whole year. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> you, you heard it from Beth. Make sure you schedule that site visit by April 3rd so that you don't miss the May 1st deadline for the grant, uh, for the grant opportunity. And then for individuals, just in the last few years, we started a micro-grant program. So that um, is for an individual teaching artist who already has a community project going, and they just need money either to finish it or get closer to finishing it. And so that is um, a total of 10, up to 10 $500 grants to an individual. And that deadline was a little bit ago. We're actually looking at the applications right now and should be announcing by the end of March uh, this year's uh, micro-grant winners. Wonderful. That is, that's really wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely looking forward to it. So, Beth. <laughs> so, in addition to being the executive director here at the Bartol Foundation, you are also an artist yourself. You're a poet. And right now I'm looking <laughs> at this really wonderful book of poetry called Retro Love by you. I mean, right. It's amazing. The poetry is very thoughtful. And there's even a really beautiful uh, little reaction statement on the back by Nikki Giovanni. So that's, that's pretty deep. <laughs> it was deep. That's really amazing. She's definitely someone that I looked up to as a kid. So like to see that someone that I'm working with in community, their work is admired by Nikki Giovanni is really, that's really cool. Isn't that insane? That's super cool. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things uh, I was working on the book and spoke to a friend about the book. And I said, while I was writing it, and it's about um, essentially dating before the internet for those of us <laughs> of a certain vintage. Um, <laughs> When I was trying to explain somebody um, dating before you had answering machines. Oh my and goodness. And they just looked at me like I was, I don't know what, a dinosaur. Um, <laughs> but the idea that you would give someone your number, but then you couldn't go out because what if they called and we didn't have an answering machine oh and we didn't God. have call waiting. And, um, and then I just started thinking about all the things that have changed and all the things that haven't changed really about relationships. Um, and I was talking to a friend about this, and I said, the only poems I was reading while I was writing this were Nikki Giovanni. And they said, I know Nikki, you want me to send her oh your book? Oh my God, oh my God. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, and then of course, I'm, you know, you're watching the, the tracking. I'm like, oh my God, it's in Nikki Giovanni's kitchen. <laughs> I'm gonna, like, this is crazy. Um, and then I just got this great little handwritten, like on a piece of paper, you would write your grocery list 
Amazing. No, with the blurb that she let me put on the book. So, uh, and then it was also a really uh, great show. I was um, not a performer at all, not really a songwriter. Uh, and I got invited by Philadelphia Jazz Project a few years ago to make Retro Love into a show. That's and amazing. so we, um, I worked with the amazing First Lady of Jazz, Monette Sudler. Uh, Joylette Harris, wow. a great jazz band, and uh, Manette and I wrote songs together and um, had uh, two nights uh, sold out at the Drake and then wow. another, another night at World Cafe Live and um, got, me, I, out, got me on stage, which was very much out of the comfort zone, but I had, I had good people backing me up. But it's it's interesting. I I be, I became a poet, you know, pretty late in my life, and so it just gives me this new insight into, um, you know, sort of the struggle of creative work and trying mm. to make that time and um, how you get a lot of no's, but you know, can I make the no's to people useful or informative or mm. humane and. Um, it just has really given me just a, a whole other layer of uh, what it means to maintain a creative practice. Mm. That's really amazing. And I can only imagine how that might impact your work on the foundation side. Or do you find that it even impacts your work on the foundation side that you yourself are also an artist? I think it does. And I think, um, as you know, because now you've been to, to one board meeting with us, <laughs> Um, our board is uh, probably three quarters or more of the board are people who are working in the field. So they're artists, they're arts educators, they're um, running community programs, they're running their, non their own nonprofit. And so um, they understand the work real, really deeply. They uh, go out and do site visits and they understand the work really deeply. Uh, if you're doing really strong, authentic work, they're going to see it. If you're not, and you're just doing work, which is, oh, not that anybody does this, but, you know, there, there are different levels of how people engage with communities. And also, um, folks for whom this is an outreach extra thing, and that is awesome, and we love it. Um, but we're also looking at who's really embedded in a community, who's serving um, people within the communities they already live and work. And uh, our board members can really go out and, and figure that out. And they can, mm -hmm. you know, we have folks that either specialize in an art form, work within particular communities like you do. Um, I have board members if you do bilingual programs and they're mostly taught in Spanish. I have board members who can go out and do a site visit if you mostly do a program in Spanish. and so. Um, we do our best to make sure that the people who are reading your grants, whether it's teaching artists who are reviewing the teaching artist proposals, or it's our board who review the organizational proposals, um, it's, you're going to be seen by people who know what the work is. And um, so I know that it's disappointing sometimes. We only fund about half of the applications we get. But I can say to people, um, either 
we see you and you're doing really good work and we ran out of money or um, this is what we saw, this is what we know is good practice, here are things to think about. You can do them or not, but here are things we noticed about your program that made it less competitive. Um, and if you want to come to a workshop about that or you want to reach out and talk to us about that, we do our best to make sure that even if you don't get a grant from us, you're still part of our community. So you're getting our newsletter, you're coming to workshops, you're doing the trauma training, maybe you're applying for an individual grant, but you're part of another organization and they're applying for a grant. So we try and have uh, a lot of doors in uh, because our, our resources are limited. We don't have that much money to give away, but we have a lot of knowledge and we have a lot of networks and we work really hard to to connect people with resources that they can benefit from. And it's the, and a lot of times it's grants are great, but it's not just grants that we can do for people. That's wonderful. So recently, uh, Bartolf tabled at an uh, event that I curated. Do you table at other organizations' events as well? Is that a thing that can happen? Is it a possibility? We can. We've really... Um, put a focus this year on how do we expand our network of people who know about us? Because we think there are people out there that are doing the work and they're just, their heads down, they're doing the work, they're paying for it out of their pocket half the time or 90% of the time, and they don't, even, they don't even know about us and we don't even know who we don't know. And so this year in terms of the new board members we brought on, like you, we were saying, okay, what networks don't we have? Like, where are people we should be connecting with? Um, and my coworker, Melissa Talley Palmer, is the best networker known to man. She really is. And woman. <laughs> and so um, the idea of doing some tabling at events is something that's really appealing to us. And you can always reach out. And if we can get it on our schedule, we're really happy to go out and table or be on a panel or uh, be part of a conference just to help more people learn about what we do uh, even while we're on you know you can follow us we're on mostly Instagram and Facebook so we're always spreading the word there we have a newsletter which talks not just about our programs but also job opportunities and other interesting things so you can jump on our website and get on our newsletter list. Um, if you look on our website, we have uh, a video library of you know one-minute teaching artist tips and spotlights on great teaching artists. So we're really trying to have more people know about what we do, um, and especially people who might not be in that first circle of people who know about grants and apply for grants. Um, we try and make the process not too hard, uh, but at the same time, helping you get clarity on what you're asking for a grant for. And so um, we hope that really every year we have more people coming to our programs and applying and, and learning about what we do. That's wonderful. Uh, for me, one of the reasons why I really love Bartol 
is because it's not just about training artists, right, with those with the pro, uh, professional development workshops, but it's also about funding people's practices, and it's also about funding the organizations that sometimes hire teaching artists, and that also are in the community, as you said, embedded in these communities doing this work. So it, it feels very like a well-rounded sort of situation where it's not just like, here's a bag of money, go away, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which happens sometimes, but it's like, they're also, con they're not just, you're not just concerned about making sure that projects are funded, but you're also concerned about the artists themselves and about the health of the organizations too. So I think that's really great. I think that's really great. I think what we've done over the years uh, because we're not that big, we're not, we don't have a huge endowment, we're not going to make millions of dollars in grants, is we've just carved out this very particular space to say we care about, you know, hands-on, in-depth, community-based art education, art making, in it, whatever discipline you, you find yourself, and, um, and then we just keep going deeper into that. So, so we started out with just grants to organizations, and then we added programs, and then we added more in-depth programs, and now we've added individual grants. And we're also just, you know, we're around. You can, uh, somebody called me the other day, and they got all flustered, and they were like, oh, I didn't think you'd pick up the phone. And I'm like, I don't know, it rang, I pick up the phone. But there's not a lot of barriers between, um, between us and, the people who want to access us. So people can always, you know, email us and call us and um, there are only two of us, so it might take us a minute, <laughs> but we do our best to to just be really accessible and and in, a, in an important way to say what you do is a fit or what you do is not a fit because um, we don't also don't want you to be spinning your wheels and waste your time because you think you're eligible for a grant, and then you go through this whole process. We've all done that. And then at the end, they're mm -hmm. like, oh, no, we don't fund what you do. Mm -hmm. um, and so through the application for a site visit, we try and have conversations really early. And um, if you think you, you might be eligible, you know, reach out and ask us. And that way you know before you go through the whole process and the work, or you hire somebody to use the grant, um, We'll figure out not only if you're eligible is kind of one term, but also if you're competitive. Mm. Um, and a lot of times I can just say, okay, so if you apply for that project, here are all the questions that I think the reviewers are going to ask. And sometimes people say, cool, okay, I got it. And sometimes they say, oh, we're not anywhere near being able to answer those questions. We'll come, we'll come in next year. Mm. Um, and so sometimes someone saying not yet or no earlier in the process is actually helpful, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. So Beth, uh, just to round things out a little bit, <laughs> uh, do you see yourself doing more performances in the future oh of your poetry? <laughs> um, I don't know. I've, I've been in sort of the... Um, you know, we go through those little dry spells of of art making, and I'm kind of swimming back out of it. And so, um, ask me in a year, and I'll tell you where I've landed. But I'm glad there's there's a little poetry spark somewhere. 
and I'm just trying to, you know, kind of blow on it and <laughs> see if it'll turn into anything. So stay tuned on that one. We will absolutely stay tuned. So thank you so much, Beth, for thank joining you. me today on Art Blog Radio. Thank you so much for having me and being part of the Bartol crew. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate you and everything that Bartol does for the community here in Philadelphia. So you heard it here, folks. Make sure that if you're interested in applying for an organizational grant with the Bartol Foundation, that you schedule your site visit by April 3rd. Even though the deadline is May 1st for the grant, you have to get a site visit in by April 3rd. Thanks again, Beth, and thank you to the Friends Center for allowing us to use this space here to record this episode of Art Blog Radio. That's it for today. Bye, y'all.